Hey, welcome to the second episode of the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bohm. On today's show, I'm talking to Reba Myers of the band Code Orange. She's the part-time singer and full-time guitar player, and we're going to basically hear all about her first experiences playing music and starting the band that eventually evolved into what Code Orange is today. I've had the pleasure of knowing Reba and Code Orange for, Jesus, God, almost a decade now, and uh, I've really enjoyed just watching from the sidelines as they've grown from this, like, Pittsburgh-based, noisy, heavy punk band to the... Well, <laughs> Pittsburgh-based, Roadrunner Records signed, WWE-affiliated, metalhead-like powerhouse band that they are today. Um, but honestly, what I love most about the conversation you're about to listen to is the attention to detail and preparedness that they bring to every situation, um, which is something I just have a newfound admiration for with their work ethic uh, that is honestly pretty unparalleled within the genre. Um, and just a quick just disclaimer, if you're wondering why we're only talking about COVID in the beginning of this episode and the murder of George Floyd and the protests aren't mentioned, is because this episode was recorded quite a few weeks before that unfortunately happened. So if that caught you as strange, I understand. Um, I hope you're well out there. I hope you're taking care of each other. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for being here. This is the first ever podcast. So hi, Reba. How are you? I'm good. Just at my house right now, you know. Um, just got back from setting up our practice space. That was lame. It's funny. I just, I was like, wonder what's happening in, in Pittsburgh right now. And I just looked and I saw the main headline was um, parking reinforcement to go back into effect as the, as the city <laughs> reopens. Yeah, that's all they care about. <laughs> Priorities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think they opened up some like restaurants or something like outside. I think that just happened, so that's something. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like a full reopen. It's it's, it's obviously like a gradual. Code yellow situation. is what it's called, actually. <laughs> so it I guess it must you... have been code orange. Okay. I don't know though. <laughs> that's just my logic. But perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Um, I forget. Do you? At one point, some of you were living together, right, in Code Orange? Oh, yeah. Dom and Joe and Jamie all lived together still and have always okay, been. Okay, so you, you escaped that. Uh, yeah, very okay. narrowly. Originally, we were all like, let's all just get a house together. Like stupid kids would think <laughs> about like living with their friends and not realizing, like, wait, we're in a band together. This is our job. We should not do that. Right. <laughs> but I, I figured that out like right at the last second. So I live with a friend of mine. Now. <laughs> yeah. And Eric lives yeah, with that his was the wise like, choice. Super wise, yeah. Okay, um, good. And how, what's your practice space situation? Is it is it convenient for everybody, or does someone have to do the, someone have to do the long haul? It's it's pretty convenient. I mean, like we all kind of live on the same side of the city, so honestly, like we live closer to each other than we do to the space, but we all live about the same length from it. But it's the spot we've had since we were like thirteen, so it's just kind of like oh, we're used awesome. to it at this point. Oh, it's awesome. it's awesome but it also sucks yeah uh yeah you're my you're my second guest on this podcast and, and i really appreciate you coming on it really means oh, a lot yeah. um so it's called the first ever podcast and it's just basically going through what first experiences you had pretty straightforward and so we could start off with just what was your first experiences just with music in general were you attached to it were, did you 
did you find yourself being really inspired by it and excited by it at a young age or did it come in a little later? Yeah, I mean, I think when I was like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of ages. I always think of grades, but in like third grade or something, fourth grade, that was when I started like getting into bands and like artists. And it was kind of interesting because like there's a lot of kids that age that don't really have things that they're a fan of. They just like, they don't care about music, but I definitely started caring about it at that point. I didn't really know who I was yet at all, obviously. Um, but I just kind of heard, heard of various things through siblings and whatnot and uh, just started really like enjoying music. And I played music too, just like at school. So I always loved doing that. It was always way more fun than like actual school. So did that. And then really when I met Jamie in sixth grade, though, was when we both started kind of like obsessing over it. Uh, like to and when you degree. so I was going to ask if you had a the sibling hookup, which is always really helpful. It was I'm assuming older sibling. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really. I don't know. Uh, my sister, she's like two years older than me, and she she really just loved music also, and she cares about it as much as I do. She doesn't really like the same stuff as me per se, but we have some crossover now. But back then, it was honestly more like I wanted to like what she didn't like. It was like a sibling rivalry music <laughs> thing. She always had like bright eyes on and right. stuff like that. And I always listened to bright eyes. I was just like, ugh, this is horrible. This is so stupid sounding. Now I understand it, obviously. But at the time, I was just wanted like punk angry music or like emo music or whatever or like rap and just something more aggressive. Uh, more like fifth grade, probably. But third grade was when I first started like paying attention. Um, and it's hard to remember like all these like, timelines. Yeah, like I was going to ask what, if you remember what it, what the first thing was that made you get psyched. I mean, like when you're young, obviously you're, you're interested in, you know, things are, all different kinds of music sound just so brand new that everything, you know, you don't have a, you don't have the palate to be a critic yet. Mm -hmm. You're just excited about kind of anything. That's why, you know, so many young kids love pop music when, you know, they're children because it's just catchy and hooky and whatever. Like as a kid. Yeah. Like I was obsessed with Michael Jackson in like second grade, you know, because it was just the hookiest <laughs> thing in the entire world. Yeah, it wasn't really like that for me as much. I don't think. I mean, there was bands and stuff, but until I really found punk was that was like when I was like cared about repping. You know, there there's like a difference between like liking stuff and listening to it, and then wanting to like connect it with like yourself. And with punk, it's like, oh, I this is me. This is for me. I want to like say that I like this. I want people to know. Like before it was kind of just enjoying music and enjoying playing music. Yeah, exactly. Like there's the identity that comes with with a subculture, of course. Um when you said you were playing music in school, what were you playing guitar right out the right out the gate or did you play another instrument originally? Um I played flute when I was young and uh I didn't really start playing guitar until like middle school and that was like really on the side uh i was playing like bass and guitar oh, wow. and stuff but it was like flute was like what i did like you know multiple hours a day or whatever do you remember what the first song it was that you played like either learned yourself or learned with your first iteration of a band like what like what kind of covers it was for a lot of us it's like nirvana or things like that do you remember yeah. what yours was I don't know. I mean, it was probably something really stupid and horrible. Whatever was popular in the I mean, that's... 2000s. I'm not really sure though. We would just yeah. we would never learn like a full song. Like we'd always it'd always be like, "Well, I can figure this like part out." <laughs> yeah. 
uh, right. it was definitely like pathetic, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it was it was fun. And then we would start writing our own stuff because we couldn't learn how to play other people's songs. We were like, well, I guess we have to do this. And was that because I know Code Orange started obviously when you were much much younger. So was that did you have that name already, or did you go through a couple different names? Uh, that was the first name. It was Code Orange Kids. Uh, Jamie's dad actually wow. I think, like thought of it because his dad's like. Uh, he's in the union. He's like very political kind of into that stuff. And we were at the time like super punk, like, like that. So we were like in love with it. And like the acronym kind of made us chuckle when we were like 12 or whatever. <laughs> um, so we just went with it and then it just became our identity basically. Well, so, sure. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, this, this podcast is, it doesn't have to be like, obviously just talking about about code orange but i guess just the last the last thing about to, to wrap up the early days of that was at what point did because was it joe or eric who joined a little bit later on because you had some other members in the band originally yeah i mean that's what's weird i was like yeah it's like my band but it's also like my whole life like it's my those are my best friends you know so talking about it, it's just like talking about my life which is just how it is but yeah like uh joe joe we didn't meet uh until ninth grade so I mean, me and Jamie wanted to be in a band together. We didn't make, it wasn't Code Orange though until we met Eric. And then we had this other dude playing guitar while I was still on bass, this kid Greg. And then we had another kid, his name is Zach. He was like our singer. Um, so it was, and Jamie also sang behind the drums. So we had kind of like two things going on. So Zach singing, my friend Greg on guitar, me on bass, Eric on guitar. Was everyone's parents like super supportive and like really outgoing for getting getting all that started? Yeah, I mean, my parents were, Jamie's parents were, um, Eric's dad. And we practiced at his house for a really long time um, when we were kids. Until, we, yeah, we would like first we practiced at Jamie's house, and then we practiced at Eric's like house. He has like this giant. His parent, family has this like giant historical landmark house in Pittsburgh, um, and just has this like basement zone where we could just like go down there for hours after school and just like do whatever we wanted basically and uh yeah like all of our parents were super helpful with like giving rides and like honestly like insanely trusting of us as well like looking back and we always talk about that like they would just drop us off at like a house show you know and let us like just do that at night and we were so young and like you know there was like stuff around like there was definitely things we could have gotten into some of some of us did get into um, not the ones of us who are straight edge, but, you know, uh, they just trusted us that we would, like, be safe about it generally, which th thinking back, I'm just like, how the hell did they not, like, lose their minds? But uh, so that was, like, a big thing. Like, I, even, like, uh, more than just giving rides and, like, helping us out with little things, like, just the, that they trusted us to, like, look out for each other and, like, didn't, weren't, like, overbearing. Because Don's parents were kind of different. And when he came along, he had to, like, do all this stuff. Like, he had to go to college before he was allowed to, like, tour. It was like rules and stuff like that, but with us, it was uh, it was e it was a lot easier. We had a good trust situation going on. So it's funny, Elliot, uh, our drummer, obviously, uh, he when he joined the band, he we had just lost our like we had lost our drummer. We had a couple fill-ins or and whatever, mm -hmm. and uh, our, fr our friend Sam. I don't know if you know uh, Sam Boston, uh, played in like Trash Talk and and all that. Yeah, he. Uh, oh, I know. He was friends with that. He was friends with Elliot and hit him up and was like, "Hey, this band needs uh, needs someone to play drums. Are you are you down?" And he emailed us, and he was going to college in Santa Cruz, and 
like listen to it, hit us back. And, and it was basically like, hey, we need someone to play drums and also go on tour for, uh, for like two and a half months, yeah. like straight. And yep. we had like th- we had like a three three week notice. <laughs> and he just he hit us up and was like, I can learn. He's like, I'm going to drop out of college right now oh, and drive down from Santa Cruz and listen to the record on my way down. And then I'll meet you guys at practice on like Tuesday. That's so sick. And just cr- and just crushed it. Like we were just so, I don't know what made us so confident in this. I think it might've just been the desperation, but we were like, fuck it. Yeah, this is going to work. Yeah, absolutely. And then never went. And it's funny now that the, obviously the shutdown has happened. He just re-enrolled in college to do it wow. over just over the internet. Holy shit. <laughs> so damn, he just went back after, you know, I guess so many uh, what is years. This, uh, like, That's crazy. Exactly. It's a trip. <laughs> what was the first, like, uh, bigger like bigger bigger tour you did because i remember i remember for us we we did a tour with thursday they took us out in like 2009 and we were so out of our element and had no idea what anything like you know the first time you do like the house of blues is those kind of venues yeah i mean i still feel like that now even sometimes (laughs) like we did that like system of the down thing and that wasn't that long ago but that was like i was we were nervous like i remember before we went out it was like a freaking arena. We were just like, I felt like a child again. I was like, holy shit, I'm like nervous, like butterflies. And I think we all felt that. But I mean, earlier than that, uh, I don't even know, maybe Deftones. We did Deftones tour when before forever. It was like on I Am King era, I think. That was pretty big for us at the time. We were definitely like, we were playing like the Ryman Theater and like weird places like that and like um some like outdoor florida uh like spot with like seating i remember zach from bain was there and he was like i could see him like it was like a huge outdoor like stage thing and but i could see him out there like standing in the chairs just like yes i don't even know why (laughs) i don't think he was on the tour i think he was just in florida at the time or something but he was like our our number one fan there (laughs) um that was scary. I'm sure you're with me on this where where especially you're doing those sort of opening sets and like you're often sort of just staring at people staring at you because you're yep. just kind of in the way at whatever's headlining. Yeah. Um, but then you find either someone, you know, or maybe like the one or two or hopefully more people in the crowd that are actually either already familiar or yeah. just vibing. Yeah. And you just well, you lock on them and you're like. You're like, you're my safe space. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like a little mini show, like inside the show kind of thing. Um. Ex- exactly. <laughs> we we did a tour with AFI in like 20, uh, thir- I think 13 it was. And yeah. um, that tour had sold out before we were even announced on it. So we had just no chance of like our kids getting in. Like we had to rely yep. on like the, the cr- whatever crossover may have happened. And it was tough. It was really, really tough. And there was like 10 hour drives to like play to people like, yeah, you know, face sideways or just on their iPhones up front. <laughs> and uh, every night there just I would just find that person in the audience and be like, oh, please just thank you. <laughs> thank you so yeah. much for being there, because every time I look up like you're all I'm looking at because I can't. If I look anywhere else, I'm just going to go to a really dark place. Well, sometimes sometimes I hate that, though, too, because, like, I'll, I'll keep looking and I'll see this one kid who clearly, like, likes the band or, like, knows the band. I'm like, okay, that's sick. But, like, then I keep seeing that one kid and it just becomes so awkward. I just, I'm like, just 
I'm just trying to look away, like trying to hide. It was like, it's too personal. Like, I don't like seeing having. It's like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to like have that connection right now. I just didn't want to play the show. And like, I kind of like, you know, that's what I love the most about like playing the headline shows and stuff is it gets so blurry of like what's going on out there, just kind of like a mess. And I love that. Well, you're also lucky to have something to hide behind. The fact that you get to play guitar is just such a blessing because you're holding something and you can be like, fuck it. I'm just going to like stare at the frets. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And escape this way. Um, Yeah. You definitely. uh, Meanwhile, us us stupid singers have to just stare at someone who's like, you know, canceling a call on their phone when they're getting in the middle of the set. So you mentioned your first, the first, so the first full U.S. tour was with Xerxes. Yeah. So you went to, you came out to California for that? Yeah. It was like on i'm don't it's like very sporadic memories but we i was playing bass on that tour and we i'm pretty sure we're touring in a pickup truck with a cap on it and sarah g was driving on it because i was the only one in the band who could drive and i wasn't really legally allowed to drive out of state i don't think maybe i'm not sure i must have been at that point that this must have been earlier god they're so, so confusing so we had gone on some like two week little tours too before that. Um, but this was like a full US. But I think she was with us for sure. And we were in a pickup truck that it's like blue Chevy. Um, and we did that whole thing. Yeah, it was definitely like full on everywhere. Um, I mean, all like many crappy shows, good shows. I know we played Louisville and at the that house that all those kids lived at. And that's actually, I think, where we had our first like fake music video with that max made who makes all of her videos and he was like that was when you first met him because he's the, he's the brother of that dude in xerxes james and we met him and he just was like just getting into music videos and like doing them for bands for real and uh yeah it was that he did that in louisville and just like friends forever on pretty weird i'm so amazed by max Moore. he's only done one video for us but uh, the fact that he's able to do so much with, I mean, I don't know what it is now, but, um, I remember just an extremely limited budget <laughs> Yeah, and he would, he would propose what he wants to do and you'd be like, all right, yeah, sure. And then we knew what the budget was. It was, you know, <laughs> for people listening, um, I hate to tear back the curtain of reality, but music videos have zero budget, especially most, especially these days. Man, like, they need to know that. They, uh, they, think, everyone thinks that like this money is just like all all over the place in the music industry. Like, dude, there's no money in this industry, not for us. Yeah, a friend of a friend's uh, a friend of a friend is like a, a music video director, and he dropped out of doing it because he was like, there's no money in it. And I got, he started doing commercials and commercials is you can just crush. Ugh, and, but he, he got hired to do a Blink-182 video, you know, maybe like in the last, you know, this is probably at this point, like five years ago or something. Yeah. But they, we, I knew about it because they had asked us if they could use our practice space for a scene. <laughs> it wasn't actually the band. It was like, it was like a side story, one of those sort of things, but it didn't end up working out. But I remember him being like, I can't like pay you guys for using your space because and at that point, I think the budget was like the budget for a Blink-182 music video, I think was like 2,500 bucks. What? Which was shocking. That's insane. <laughs> it's just like, well, I don't I understand like, okay, that. if that video is $2,500. It must've been some sort of like low priority thing. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that was just my mis- misinterpretation of just the $2,500 for that day of shooting or something. But even yeah, still, that that's makes more pretty sense. low for something. So back to Max Moore. Yeah, I remember I remember he was explaining our music video. And he's like, yeah, and then I'm going to have like the building crumble. And we we're like, huh? Like, what do you mm-hmm. mean? And uh, he crushed it. And he's he I never you know, I don't think I've ever met him in person, but. Um, what a creative mind to be able to pull off some of the things he does. And all the music videos he's done for Code Orange have just been outrageous. Yeah, well, of course, with us, we, like, give him this crazy idea. And we're like, actually, now make this glass box explode. And it really needs to explode. And he's like, God. And then he has to go and figure it out and, like, beg his people to, like, work, like, more. And, like, it's insane. But he always pulls it off. I think him just being, like, a very friendly likable guy is a huge part of it um because you know if you're like a dickhead like director you're not gonna get people to like help you out like i know our shoot ran late and like everyone and his crew were all super nice and like just he clearly has a good relationship with everybody so um i want to ask you what about your first recording experiences do you remember um like was the early because obviously the band has been a band for so long now but um were the first recording experiences like home, like home recording type stuff, and then what your what was your first time like going into like a full studio? Yeah, well, it's funny because that shit actually really cracks me up when I think about it. Like, we first did our like first demo at this like shitty house in Southside Pittsburgh with this dude that I don't even know how we met this guy. I don't know who he was really. He was like a little older than us, and like. But he wasn't really, like, a punk kid or anything. He just, like, recorded all the bands. And he just was, like, a big... He's just a stoner dude, I think, as far as I remember. But we recorded all of our stuff at his house. And he was definitely did not know what he was doing at all. But, like, in our eyes, he was, like, the guy to go to. And I remember he would do things where, like, one of us would, like, swear or, like, in the middle of a take say something like, oh, fuck, like, I suck or something. And then he would be like, all right, I'm not taking that out unless you go get me, like, a iced tea from the store. <laughs> You're like, I'm leaving that in the song unless you're like, we, us as kids are like, fuck, like, because we don't know how to, we didn't know how to do shit. So like, we really thought he was going to leave it in the song and he probably would have. So we had to go to the store, get him a drink and come back. <laughs> but now I'm like, you know, to be fair, he had like a bunch of children in his house. <laughs> like, he probably deserved the drink. I doubt that we were paying him like more than a hundred dollars. So, uh, yeah. So that guy was like the first guy. Then we met my friend, Matt Very, who did like all of our next stuff and he was like actually our friend and that was when we started getting to be creative about it it was still very like home studio but he uh later on like built his own studio and he kept doing it for real so he was he was sick and then uh i think it was like the first time we did a real studio thing was with full of hell we did a split with them and that was the first time we had like actually traveled and we went to baltimore and did the split with them and we like kind of collaborated on it like i know they were doing theirs at the same time we were like all in the same room and dylan sang on our thing and i and i think i sang on their thing maybe or maybe jamie did i don't know i forget but that was like a real studio type spot uh we were definitely a little intimidated yeah i didn't realize that 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 was as collaborative as it was that's interesting yeah i mean like we weren't like playing on each other's songs or anything but we was just like all there together and like they had done their thing like two days in two days and then ours was like the next two days and we were all kind of like in the city at the same time and yeah like someone from their band sang on ours and we sang on theirs and it was like 
it was like kind of like a competitive split too, in a sense. Like <laughs> I remember that. Aspect. Right. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah, it was cool. What uh, what brought you both to Baltimore to do it? I don't even. I think. Well, they live in they live in Ocean City, I think, or they did at the time. So okay. I think Baltimore was like the closest okay. thing that made sense. So I think it was like, I think pianos become the teeth recorded with this guy too, and maybe like they told us about him or something. Um, that can make sense. I just don't, I don't know, but that was like the first real thing. And then we did the Kurt Blue record and that was like, you know, like, okay, now we have to really like prepare for this. And like, I remember making like all kinds of notes and plans and all this stuff that really didn't even matter. But like at the time I was like, we have to like be ready for this. Like this is a big deal. And it was sick. That speaks, that speaks a lot to your band though, that you care about that and that you were that you, you felt like you needed to be that prepared. I, I think that is a big part of what makes code orange. What it is, is that a lot of bands just kind of fly by the seat of their pants and just kind of let things happen. And then, you know, some of those bands don't maybe last as long as they do. And yeah. they don't have the longevity because they're not as prepared. And you all find a way to make things as, dialed in and considered as possible and that's something that i've always just from the sideline you know fly on the wall sort of admired about what you all do it's that everything has a purpose and everything is tactful and um i think that should be a lesson to a lot of other bands that you can't just expect things to happen or you can't just rely on someone else to make something cool you have to go out of your way to make something cool yeah that's very true i mean i appreciate it and it's weird yeah like i noticed that about other other types of art forms and stuff too like it's so weird because as a as a viewer an observer or listener whatever so you can watch something or watch a video music video anything and you kind of you don't think about that that aspect you just watch it and you decide if you like it or not it's like that simple. It's like, it did that wow me, you know? And it doesn't matter like how much work went into it necessarily as like just a fan. But whenever I think about, okay, when we actually made our record and how proud of it I am and how much work went into that, I'm like, holy shit. Like, I feel like I just like exhausted every ounce of my self. And like, then when I think about it, it's like, okay, if I feel like that about this, like it's gotta be like that for other people too. And I just haven't even noticed it. Like how much actual self is just like poured into these amazing things that happen. It's just like, I don't know. I I didn't always realize that, especially growing up, like with things that I really love. Like it's like, oh, they probably like to make this that amazing. They probably like really, it was just like everything to them at the time. But some people don't see it that way. Some people just kind of like go with the flow and it's just a different approach, I guess. But it's never how I've been with it. Yeah. Would you say this last record was that full experience or do you feel like you've you, you as a band have done that on every record or, or yeah, like because like, obviously like if you did the first record with Kurt, you were prepared or like you were preparing yourself for this and for that. But I imagine you were still I know Kurt is a can be an intimidating person and he's got a very raw sense of humor yeah. to, uh, to yeah. him. Um, but did you do you feel like you were able to explore in the time that you had and whatever and made the record that was you know, like what your dreams were, or do you feel like only now that you've gone through this process a couple of times, making some bigger records that you're able to, on this one, you were able to spread your wings more and, and fully realize all your ideas. Oh, I think, yeah, for sure that 
like it wasn't something that I even realized at the time. It was like totally just an ignorance is bliss kind of thing. But like now I realize, wow, I could really take full control of this if I want to. I just didn't know how to do that and didn't dig deep enough before. You know, at the time, it's like if not, it's not like I didn't put work in, put tons of work in. It's just like it can go so much deeper than that. And I didn't even realize it. And now I'm like, holy shit, like, I feel like I know this record in and out, like every second of it, I could say like the reason for why it's this way, you know, before it was like definitely a lot more like you're just, you're just going with it kind of type of thing. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think that, that, I think there's something wonderful in that, like the early, you know, when, when you're in the studio, especially like you had to imagine that, that recording with Kurt, obviously, I mean, I can assume that you know, you all probably were fans of, of him at the time or whatever. And yeah. Oh yeah. Just Definitely. being, just being so excited. And then like, you're hearing things back for the first time and like, they sound big and like a Kurt record and you're like, holy shit. And then, yeah. So like, you're sort of, you're moving at the, at the pace of excitement as opposed mm-hmm. to maybe paying so much attention to like what the song calls for. And I think that there's something great for that. And I think that that's what makes a lot of early bands records as good as they can be as they are or as memorable as they are because they're just, you know, they're fun or whatever. But I think it's the later records in a lot of bands careers that you can tell that they've gone through the, the motions of being excited. And now they, they know how to sort of taper that to the side and actually do the work and do the digging yeah. to find more. Yeah. Like it shows who you actually are later. It's like at first it's kind of just your natural, impulse self as a band unit and then later it's like now you've been put through these tests like now do you know how to harness that what you have that like specialness or do you did you let the world get to you basically and like shell you up because i I do think that happens a lot and bands just shell up when they get get older and it's like it's not like you know people always say like i'll see kids say all the time like oh like new record like i bet they're like trying to make like a poppy song for the for the label because the label wants them to make like a radio hit it's like it's not really like that like maybe for someone it is but like it's not like that it's like the band probably just wanted to do that because they're trying to have success and because they like want to explore their different facets of their capabilities and kids see it so much as like they were told to do this like if it sucks like maybe it sucks because they just weren't able to dig deep enough and they weren't able to let go and just like naturally let what happens happen but like it's a very thin line to walk like when you're trying to trying to make that that later record but that's that's a great point absolutely and i think i think it's actually audible to to a listener that maybe i think maybe some bands want like you know there's certain bands that or records that have like that track where you're like okay that's the one where they're going for it or whatever but often those tracks are great and yeah but when they're not great to me you can tell when it's like oh you had an idea but maybe you relied on the production or the producer or someone or a songwriter to come in and make it better and that's when you can tell that the identity is no longer in the song but yeah like for instance on on your newest record there's like uh there's uh forgive me i can't i can't think of it the, the, one of the first singles, one that you sing a big underneath. Part of. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like when I heard that, I was like, I, I didn't think for a second, like, oh, this is them trying to 
trying, you know, like they wrote this song for this purpose. I was like, no, this, this sounds like them being confident in writing this kind of a song. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. That's how I, that's how we feel about it. And people just don't always, they just, you know, they just don't get it. It's like, if you know us, I think you would know that that's what we like also, you know, it's just about digging deep enough to find your version of that as opposed to just like what you think it should be, you know? Yeah. The last thing I wanted to ask was, um, was basically like, can you remember the first moment you realized when you were doing exactly what you've been working so hard towards? Yes. Well, it's just such a weird question for me because it's like, I'll feel that I'll feel that in like certain moments kind of, but it's always like, it's the ups and downs of it that remind me I'm doing what I want to do and what I've been working towards. It's like, like, you know, we've had moments, it's like the Grammys or we'll do the system of a down tour or we'll do the slipknot tour where I'm like, wow, like this is sick. But it's like, that's never, re- it's never really like an event of any kind. That is my goal. It's like maybe when, you know, this record was done, I feel that a little bit, but it's never like a moment. It's like, I'm feeling that now as I look back at, you know, this record or, and I'm sure I felt that way about forever too at the time. But for me, it's just, it's kind of like that state of dissatisfaction that keeps me going almost. Like I never feels like it's quite good enough. And that's what pushes me to then learn and like, you know, try to improve the band. And that's why, when I, how I know that I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm always so obsessively eager to improve it. It's like for stuff that I think is good or I'm happy or I'm just like, oh, I, I, we did this. We made it. It's like if it felt like that, I would probably just stop doing it. Um, so that's kind of like my take on that, if that makes sense. But, you know, of course there's moments. Yeah, as I said, it's like the Grammys or like, you know, system of down arena tours like that's crazy like as a kid if i knew i was going to do that i'd be shocked but me at that at the time and at those times it's not really like what i was thinking about it was just kind of like proud of us but then realizing oh we can do this we can i can do more or i can dig deeper into my own stuff and writing and just getting better and so that's just what pushes me forward yeah it's it's funny you mentioned uh you mentioning the grammy thing I had to admit, okay, so uh, I I always laugh. There's there's things that are big for us and for you, you know, doing certain tours or getting to work with certain people, things that are very for you. Yeah. But then yeah. there's the things that are big for uh, for normals, for civilians, <laughs> for people not included in this world, right? Yeah. So for us in whatever year it was we we got to play and unfortunately i I know it didn't work out for you this year but we got to do coachella right so Mm -hmm. and i know you were supposed to be on coachella this year so when we got on coachella and i remember i posted it on facebook that was the time when now (laughs) everyone from my high school can say oh jeremy's doing something (laughs) you know like yeah i'm glad you that was the moment that same (laughs) yeah that was that was the moment of like of like oh he's real approval yeah <laughs> i had That's to imagine so if you posted about the grammy thing that maybe people from your hometown were like what the yeah. fuck yeah that was like when they first like we, we literally weren't on like any newspaper covers any like barely any articles like little things but like even though we probably do more than like any other band from pittsburgh besides like anti-flag <laughs> but they just didn't care until that happened and then they're just like oh 
I see. Like they have uh, real recognition. And it, in my mind, it's like, yeah, like as you said, meeting someone who I like is like a, a musical hero of mine is like so much more impactful to me than that personally. But like the world will never understand that or care. They just care about like things like the Grammys or playing Coachella, which is fine, but it's just funny. It's like the impact it has personally on you is definitely like different than how they see it, but it's okay. <laughs> You know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, shit. Reba, thank you so much for, for coming on. It's been such a pleasure catching up with you and talking with you, and I'm, and I'm glad oh, you're yeah. doing well. Yes, you too, my friend. I appreciate you hitting me up. Well, there it is. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with your friends, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page to help the show just kind of get more visible to other listeners. Uh, this is a new project, as I mentioned, so I'm really grateful to be able to share these conversations going forward. So anything you can do to help spread the word is a huge, huge help. Uh, thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much. <laughs>